Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club, and we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. Today, we're so pleased to be in conversation with Patricia Manahan Anderson, age 83, who lives in Mankato, Minnesota. Pat retired after 30 years as a nurse practitioner when she was 78 years old. Her life is a kaleidoscope that I won't try to recount in chronological order. It involves traveling around the world prior to marriage, having six children in eight years, taking 18 years off work to raise the children, living on a farm on the edge of town with her veterinarian husband, and attending school periodically for more professional credentials. Pat is known to others as a pioneer who practiced holistic medicine in her work as a nurse practitioner, a clinical nurse specialist, and specializing in biofeedback therapy. Pat, however, sees herself as a pioneer in parenting who exercises a deep appreciation of each and every child. Pat became a widow in 2018 and lives a child and family-centered life. She has five adult children, 17 grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. She is a singer, entertainer, avid reader, and volunteers with community organizations. And Pat is a person who says she is filled with gratitude. We thank Nancy Manahan, who is Pat's sister and also a guest, for referring us to Pat. So welcome, Pat, to Women Over 70. Thank you very much. So let's begin, Pat. Um, tell us about how your deep appreciation for children developed. Well, that's easy to tell that story. I was teaching nursing at Mankato State University when I became pregnant. And as soon as school was out, I had this uh, my first child um, after being married for several years. So it was kind of a wonderful thing. And anyway, Christine was born with a spina bifida. And the doctors at that time told uh, us that nothing could be done and that she would probably live six months at the outside. But she, li- I quit working, of course, to take care of her. And she lived for uh, four years. And during that time, we had three, four more children. And so, um, but I developed uh, just an uncanny appreciation for healthy children. and. I didn't. I, I, I didn't have any expectations of Christine, of course, and I call that experience perfect parenting because I had no expectations of this mm-hmm. little girl, 
Um, it was just love. That's all, all I could give her. And, um, but she really influenced my life a lot in terms of, uh, well, certainly being tied down at home 24-7 with her. And in the meantime, having four more pregnancies. So I was pregnant with Katie, our, my, our fifth child, when, uh, when Christine died. Oh. Mm -hmm. It's almost hard to imagine what your life was like at that, at that, during that period. And, and then you said you were, you told me that you were out of work, out of work, in quotes, for 18 years. Yes, I And yet you earned professional degrees and, and sometimes worked part-time and just... Give us a, a glimpse into what those 18 years were like. Well, I suppose looking back, they were probably the best years of my life. I had little children and I was committed to parenting. We lived on a farm and uh, so um, it was a natural, a holistic parenting style. I, I think that I, I now they would call that attachment parenting, but I just called it parenting. I didn't even, we didn't even have that word, parenting. We didn't use that word at all. We just did it, you know. Um, why, do you, why do you think it would have been, it would be called attachment parenting now? Because I think the most important time of a child's life are those first six months or a year when they attach emotionally to their primary caregiver and I think that influences the rest of their life mm -hmm. totally. Like as a psychotherapist, I suppose everybody I ever saw had attachment disorders or they simply weren't attached in childhood and then had all kinds of adjustment problems throughout their entire life. Mm. Thank you. So I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's correct to call it attachment parenting, but that's what I call it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and thank you. So you mentioned that you, you lived on a farm. And, and what about that lifestyle do you think aided or contributed to your holistic parenting? Well, it certainly was perfect because we um, uh, lived at the edge of our small town. But the high school and the tennis courts were right across the street from us. So it was very convenient. And, um, but we had a big garden and we had animals. And the children were free, you know, pretty free to uh, do whatever they wanted to do. Um, I didn't have any problem children. They all were what, um, not a problem. They all had good senses of humor. And, and uh, I don't think I ever had to discipline any of the children any of the time. Well, with one exception that I can think of. But um, it was... Farm life is just naturally holistic because it's um, not confined at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I imagine it's kind of remarkable for our listeners to hear that you didn't need to discipline your children. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I, remember, I remember going to a coffee party one time and, and saying, and the, the mothers were talking about um, what to do when the children were fighting. And I said, I don't know. My children don't fight. Mm -hmm. and they just, they, they thought I was not telling the truth. They said, come on, that's not possible. But it was, they just didn't fight. <laughs> they all got along beautifully. That's amazing. <laughs> that's really lovely. 
So um, tell us a little bit how you managed to fit in uh, earning more credentials, professional credentials. I, I, I think you did during that 18-year period. Is that right? Well, I did. I earned a ma- master's degree. And um, it's. I started out by just going to Friday college, and I could hire uh, a babysitter. When uh, my youngest one got into kindergarten, then I started going back to and taking classes at our local college. And at first, I just started taking Friday classes. And it was so much fun, and I really liked it a lot that I uh, then expanded that into I never went full-time back to school. I only went part-time. And I did it at Mankato State University, which was only a 30-minute commute from our farm. So it was convenient. Did Mankato State have adult-focused programs at that time, or were you in class with traditional age? Yeah, no, it was mostly adult at Friday College, certainly. Mm -hmm. But I was in class when I went back and got a master's degree in nursing, which I did later. Then I was with uh, traditional college students, yes. But what was that like for you? Oh, it was just, um, it was okay. It was fine. (laughs) I learned, you know, I can learn. We can learn a lot from young people. So Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it a lot. And, of course, I learned a lot from all of them. But I was in a program of a, to be a family nurse practitioner, and I didn't fit into that. I was a, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, so um, I would I did some teaching, and and they did a lot of teaching, more teaching than I did. But it was fine. Tell, tell us what a psychiatric nurse practitioner does. What is what, what kind of work does that involve? Well. For me, uh, it involves doing medication management. And so psychiatric nurse practitioners are called a CNS or a a clinical nurse specialist. And uh, we manage psychotropic medications for patients if we want to go that route. And I I did that part-time, but I preferred to do uh, family therapy and psychotherapy with patients. And I tried to be holistic. And by that, I mean when a uh, new patient came to my door, I always would wonder why the universe sent that particular person to me and what I was going to learn from that person and what they might learn from me. And um, so I think I practiced active listening in, uh, in my practice, which was kind of unusual at that time. My schedule was always full because I think it was because I listened to people, not because I was good or because I knew a lot. I didn't, I, but I always was open to learning. And I think there weren't very many psychiatrists at that time, at least, um, in captivity that would or could listen to patients. And so that's what made me uh, different than them. But a nurse practitioner in psychiatry functions like a psychiatrist except that we have the privilege and the opportunity to also do therapy rather than strictly uh, try to find the best medication and the right dosage for each person, Mm -hmm. which is what many psychiatrists are just reduced to do. And early in my practice, they wanted me to see one patient every 20 minutes, and I refused to do that. So when I saw therapy patients, I spent 90 minutes at the, for the first session and 60 minutes thereafter. 
And then I was able to, uh, when I just was doing med checks, then I insisted on not having a patient more than once every 30 minutes. Oh. And so my, they didn't like that, but they let me do it. So uh, I, I, I couldn't function otherwise. Right. And I, I uh, assume that that was, that was not emphasized in your formal training that, or was that the act of listening? Oh my, no. No. Oh, oh heavens, no. <laughs> so those were your, that was your own, um, your own instinct, your own way of being. Because I had the advantage of going to American, or Min not Minnesota, but American Holistic Medical Association once a year would have a, about a four-day conference in Seattle or in some place in the United States. And I, I went to those conferences with my brother, Bill Manahan, mm -hmm. uh, who was a friend, you know, of, of Carolyn Torkelson. And I went with Bill, uh, oh, probably for 30 years. And so mm. I had the advantage of picking up a lot of wonderful attitudes and information. When you and I talked earlier, Pat, and I said that others see you as a holistic, as a pioneer in holistic medicine, your sister sees you that way, your brother, Bill, Carolyn, uh, who is one of our, our guests. And given how you approached your work as a nurse practitioner, you said you didn't didn't really that wasn't a label or an identity that that you really felt was characteristic can you say more about that well i didn't uh, wasn't holistic consciously i was probably holistic by nature or by birth um in looking at a whole person um and in, in forms in terms of emotional and spiritual and psychological and environmental ways. And, and I had a level of interest that may have been unusual. I simply was interested in people's lifestyle and hearing their story. It is such a privilege to hear a person's story. Well, as you well know, <laughs> right? It, it, it's, um, it's a privilege and I all, and I never forgot about that. And so even doing med checks, I needed to know their expectations and where they were coming from and what they wanted out of their lives and things like that. So uh, that's why I didn't call it holistic. It just was. It did just you, was. Did you work in a hospital setting, Pat? Yes, I did. Um, I worked, our hospital was run by Alina in New Orleans. That was my, my last job that I had. And they had the whole top floor of the hospital that they had converted into just rooms and had a big uh, mental health. Well, one wing of it was a mental health um, wing. And so they hired psychologists and uh, two or three psychiatrists and me. So, mm -hmm. yes. I wish I had been trained as a psychologist, but I never really mm. did have any formal training. I kind of, I was trained in nursing, you know, so I kind of was self-taught in terms of the psychology. Mm. And how I did that a lot was that I had to commute. My job was uh, 
30 miles away from where I lived. And so I had that commute every day, which gave me a wonderful opportunity to listen to thousands of audio books on my car CD player. <laughs> so I, I certainly learned a lot. Yeah. One hour a day, I listened to books. I'm, I'm curious to know about your being a singer entertainer. Oh, well, I, I learned early in my life that when I feel the best, I'm up on a stage singing and dancing. Oh. And so um, it's, I've had two, actually three friends who were women's. And uh, one of them was a piano player. One that was a soprano, a lovely singer. She really had the talent. And then I was uh, an alto and the third one played the, or sang the middle part. So we had a group and we called ourselves the New Wrinkles. And mm. we went around for quite a few years. We, every time there was a community gathering or anything going on, and we also went to nursing homes and Sons of Norway and just things like that. We really got invited around a lot of places. And it was, uh, a fun, you know, we tried to be entertaining and funny. And what it turned out to be was just a heck of a lot of fun for the four of us. So, well, how did you come up with that name? Well, I don't know. I just thought of it one day. I saw a wrinkle. I thought, oh, <laughs> oh there's a new one. Huh? We're the new wrinkles. <laughs> I love it. Now, did were you doing that up until the pandemic hit? Or No. I, in um, 2016, uh, I left Medelia and moved to Mankato. And so then it was it was all over at that point. But um, one of our, in our group, had kind of moved away anyway a couple years before that. So we had really, were, we were on the downturn. Mm -hmm. We didn't know we weren't in the pandemic. Okay. And I did retire when I was 78, but I had a formal retirement when I was 70. And... Um, from my job and they had a you know a retirement party for me and it was just kind of a highlight of my life because it was kind of turned out to be a roast and it was fun but then uh, jeff katulski who runs a holistic clinic here in mankato asked if i would come and work for him and i said well jeff i'm 70 years old and he said yeah so what so <laughs> oh okay so then i worked for him for eight years after that oh, okay okay that was in Mankato. So you haven't been retired that many years. Well, um, a good five years. Five years. Yeah. So tell us what uh, life in retirement, or as your sister Nancy would say, in inspirement. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is your life like now in the last five years and currently? Well, I have loved retirement. I love my home. I love my grandchildren. I'm right between three different families that are around here. All my children are just healthy and successful. So I'm so privileged. But I don't think the pandemic was difficult for me um, because it just wasn't. I am able to live in the now and I could, I appreciated staying home and I watched more. I watched Netflix. Oh my gosh! I even watched Bridgerton, and um, it just was me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh, so you saw the bottom too? Oh, sure. <laughs> Who hasn't watched Bridgerton? All right, That's right. <laughs> so, um, 
my life is uh, blessed. And I've always, like even tonight, I'm going to, yesterday I went to a tennis tournament. I have two grandsons who are playing tennis for their high school teams. And I have, tonight I'm going to a soccer match because I won another grandson who is playing soccer. So I'm just constantly sustained and entertained by my children oh. and children. It's pretty sweet. That is very sweet, sustained and entertained. <clears throat> I think you mentioned that when uh, growing up that your children just liked being together. They didn't fight. And uh, I think you mentioned to me earlier that now, even now, they really, your whole, your family, the, your adult children, they love being together. And what is that like? Well, for instance, this is going to be Memorial Day weekend coming up. And so all of us will head up north and go to the, uh, the lake. Um, one, we have two places on the lake. Uh, one is on Lake Roosevelt in northern Minnesota, and the other is on Woman Lake in northern Minnesota. And we love being together. So all of the grandchildren will be there. This year we have one. Uh, one of my granddaughters is going to go to Kansas because she's starting a graduate program in entomology at Kansas State. Wow. And she won't be there. But otherwise, it's just uh, the children have grown up with those weekends at the lake, uh, playing games and outdoors and indoors and swimming. And um, so uh, they love to be together. And when the children have a birthday, you know, their parents will say, uh, the grandchildren, their parents will say, well, should we have a birthday party? And they'll say, yes, I want to invite my cousins. So <laughs> we really get together quite a bit and uh, have such a good time. Each, each one when you of them. When you go up to the lake. Yeah. Northern Minnesota, there will be 16 grandchildren who will be there? No, there will be 14 there this year. 14. But okay. like... Uh, but like 10 adults, I have five children and five in-law children. Oh and goodness. so, and 14. So there's 24 and me, it makes 25. It's always 25 people. So every year I write out a schedule and people sign up for meals and each mm -hmm. person is responsible for one meal to feed everybody. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. You know, it's easy and it's fun. And um, it, it's now it's just a routine thing. <laughs> And uh, there's not enough room for that many people, but my brother-in-law, Mark Robbie, rents cabins at a nearby resort. And so mm. overflow goes to those cabins, which okay. is right across the lake. We I was can, going to ask if you live, if you have a mansion up there. But. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. We have two, two cabins uh, at both places, which, but our play, uh, the Mary Pat and John, our, my daughter and son-in-law have a place on Roosevelt, which is late, maybe 25 minutes a drive away. Mm -hmm. So we, anyway, they stay at their house and they have two cabins there, but they, um, they join us or we join them. And so. That sounds so wonderful. Uh, you know, when you, let's see, you, I know you, you, you are very involved in your the grandkids lives and their athletics and, but what, what else do you do for you? Just, um, apart from the family? Oh my, apart from my family right now, I love to play bridge. I love to play bridge with my siblings and with my grandchildren. I sing in a, a chorus called Divine Singers here in Mankato. Um, 
I go swimming all the time for myself. I just came back from swimming about half hour ago. Uh, so I swim uh, for an hour at three or four times a week. In a, they have a really nice pool down at the adult community center. Uh, I used to volunteer to see people. Um, I had a patient one time, I called her a patient with, because she was initially referred to me by her doctor who asked if I would go to her home to visit her. This mm -hmm. doctor said she has only three to six months to live. And uh, I'd appreciate it. She's very depressed. I'd appreciate it if you would go and see her. So her name was Mary Ann. And I started seeing her every Wednesday uh, for two hours from three or from four to six o'clock. And she lived for 17 years. So every Wednesday for 17 years, I went to see her. Oh, my goodness. She just That's died. commitment. <laughs> she just died this year. Oh. Well, we well, friends, you know. Yes. But that had another pr person too that I went I see every year. Mm -hmm. uh, every I'm sorry I would see every week, and she was blind, and so I would read to her. And, mm -hmm. So I love to volunteer. I love to be mm -hmm. a service to other people. You t you also told me Pat that you said that you have perfected the art of living in the now. <laughs> I I love that phrase. I I aspire to it. But tell us about that. Well, that's another thing I probably do normally, although I did read Eckhart Tolle's book, Living in the Now. I didn't get a whole lot out of the book, but I realized then that I was a person who did live in the now. I look at aging, you know, as a fact of life. Aging is a privilege, in my opinion, and not everybody gets that opportunity to age. Uh, Aging, I always used to tell my patients that aging is a process of learning how to lose. Mm -hmm. we, we lose everything. We lose our parents. We lose our siblings. We lose our friends. We lose our health. Eventually, we lose our life. And that's what aging is, I, in my opinion, is a process of learning to lose. And so living in the now is just part of that. Um, it's also an opportunity uh, to explore our sense of humor and our sense of a being. That's all. Mm -hmm. Does that, is that a good, is that okay answer to, that's kind of a hard question. I'd say it's a perfect answer. Um, <laughs> the, the process. You may not want to talk about this. I'm not sure, but you became a widow in 2018 Yes. Has that philosophy helped you be able to manage that loss? Oh, I think so. Yes, I would say about 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband was ill with multiple myeloma for the last five years of his life. And, uh, we, and we kind of, instead of bringing us closer together, it kind of brought us farther apart. So by the time he died, uh, he actually had a heart attack when he was 41 years old, and he died when he was 81. So he got 40 extra years, but I, I always joked that I kept my black dress pressed and ready to go because I expected he was going to die in a ditch any day, but he didn't. Uh, and so I do think that I was able to adjust, and all of the years that I did therapy with grieving widows certainly was helpful for me, 
probably much more so than I was helpful for them. They were, they, I learned a lot from every patient I ever had. Mm -hmm. And so I did have an easy transition, uh, thankfully. Yes. And, and all those children nearby, children and grandchildren. Well, my goodness, yes, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I don't miss Steve. I do miss him a lot. And he was the love of my life, the only person I really ever loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we had a good relationship. We used to do a lot of laughing. I just wrote a story this week about humor. And the question was, who's the funniest person in your family? <laughs> And so um, I realized I gave all the credit to Steve and myself for, <laughs> for our senses of humor. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Wow. I was just struck by what you said about your husband had a heart attack at age 41 and then you kept your black dress ready. <laughs> my father had a heart attack at age 41 and my mother uh, brought his best suit to the dry cleaners and then kept that in the cedar chest. <laughs> <laughs> He, he lived to 77, so <laughs> it just tickled me. <laughs> yes, it's true. Uh-huh. So this, the aging is the process of learning how to lose. You say that in a way that is, doesn't sound morbid or maudlin, just very, it's reality. I call it a privilege. I call it an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's a fact of life. <laughs> Pat, is there anything else you would like to, to mention before we, we bring this to a close? I can't think of what it what might be, but, uh, but thank you for interviewing me. It's been kind of fun and pretty darn easy, you know, just to talk. <laughs> so we're glad you experienced it that way. It's been wonderful to, to yeah. talk with you. Thank I don't see so myself as being an extraordinary senior citizen. Uh, I, I don't see that at all. I see myself as being an ordinary person with an extraordinary sense of appreciation and gratitude. That's all. Yes. That is a perfect note to, um, to close on. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. thank you so much, Pat. And, and listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group. And no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about our Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.